Welcome to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. Industry updates and best practice to promote, support, develop and protect the Scottish red meat sector. Hello and thanks very much for downloading this. I'm Mark Stephen. After a pretty promising start, spring, at least here in Aberdeenshire, is kind of doing the dirty on us. I'm looking out the window at the moment and it's snowing. I mean, not the nice fairy tale stuff, you know, fat flakes gently falling. This is wet and it's high winds. It's really not ideal lambing weather. Maybe that makes this a good time for the QMS podcast to concentrate on the turnout of youngsters in the spring whenever spring decides to happen. Ainsley Smith owns Eden Vets in Cooper. Now, Ainsley's interest in beef and sheep started as a laddie in the family farm in Fife. He's got a particular interest in working with farming clients to try and achieve increases in efficiency of production. In his leisure time, Ainsley works with his own small herd of pedigree simmental cattle, so he understands all about the highs and lows of the game. Will Pickard farms at Ormiston near Newborough, also in Fife. He's got a flock of about 300 ewes with all progeny finished on grass and a suckler herd of 115 cows where the aim is to finish as many of the cows on grass as possible. But at the moment, they're mostly sold as forward stores in late summer, autumn. I'm going to start with you, Ainsley. What are the main factors to consider at turnout? Well, the main factors at turnout are all trying to make summer as easy and as profitable for the farm as we can. So on the young stock side, we're looking at trying to control the parasites. That's mainly your lungworm and your gut worms there. For the younger farm, younger beasts, we're looking at clostridial diseases, often black leg on some farms. Some need all clostridial diseases covered. In our breeding stock, we're looking at making sure vaccinations are correct for the farm, whether that's BVD or Leptospira. We're also looking at making sure the mineral coverage is best for that particular farm. Most farms and suckers will need magnesium, but some farms will need other minerals as well. Thanks for that overview, and I'm going to come back by that point by point. But I mean, you, one thing that you didn't mention there was diet. I mean, how do, how do you go about changing the diet so you kind of smooth the transition back to grass? Well, it depends on what they're starting on when they're in the shade. But really, you're wanting to be cutting back the concentrate part of the ration while they're in the shade onto a mainly silage ration, because your silage is coming from grass anyway, so that makes a, a smoother transition for them going out. You know, I think one of the points quite a lot of our farmers make is if the cattle are in too good condition, particularly the young stock, they spend the first month going backwards. That's because they are too good. They're needing to be on a, a store ration to a certain extent to allow them to go out and make the best use of this nice, cheap, plentiful grass that we're hopefully going to have tail end of April, beginning of May. Fingers crossed. Will, can you describe the system you use to me? Well, the system we have, you know, we're, we've got these spring calving cows are trying to fit in with nature, really, you know, when grass is uh, of its most abundant. So young stock are weaned in October or November and some of them are housed. And, you know, just this year we were able to keep one group out all winter uh, just with changes to available grazing that we now have, as well as our grazing management with uh, rotationally grazing. It allows us to you know, have much better covers going into winter and be able to utilise grass 
through the winter. Then, well, they're, they're going to transition really well uh, through onto, onto grass at turnout when, you know, when the other stock are turned out, the ones that are housed. This year, we were able to put some of those out onto cover crops that we had near the farm. They went out there early March when the ground could take them and they weren't going to destroy the place. So we feel that they transitioned really well, those ones, and they then moved on to grazing pastures at the end of March, and that's where they currently are. There's a big difference between the grass that you know grew last summer and the grass that's going to grow this spring. How do the beasts react to it? I mean, how, how does it manifest itself? Well, you know, we, we it was the, the first year that we have used what you might call old grass for store cattle through the winter. And first impressions are that they didn't gain masses of weight. They definitely gained frame. There's no doubt about that. But through the weight scales, their weight gain wasn't impressive. I'm more interested in the end picture. And, you know, these animals ought to be flying based on what they're eating at the moment, this high-powered stuff that they've got available at the moment. So I'm intrigued to see how it goes. There's, there's no doubt I agree with Ainsley. I saw years ago, I was trying to weigh my animals every month after turnout, thinking, you know, how are these doing? How are they performing on this grass I'm giving them? And initially, they lost weight. It was like negative balance. And, and it was, yeah, it was depressing at that point. And it was just the fact that they were changing diet, going backwards until they transitioned, the guts tightened up, and then they were gaining well. That's the story here. Ainsley, you touched on diseases and parasites, you know, in, in your first answer. Can you flesh that out for me? You know, if, if you're thinking of turning them out, what are the real main concerns? On the parasite side, if you look at through the summer, you're mainly looking at your your gut worms or your lung worms, and it's really on a farm specific basis we're we're looking at on in Fife there's a there's a few farms that have a lung one problem they know which farms they are so with them we're discussing are we going to go with one or are we going to go with vaccination for lung one the one that we've got that don't have lung one we're really looking at our gut ones and with them we're discussing if we're using one what stock is it we're going to be using in it the, the suckler cows, they're not going to need a warmer. The young stock are, then we're looking at when were they born last year, what challenges were they, and when we're looking at finishing them. Because we can go for products that last a long time, they'll control the worms, but that's no good if it's going to delay finishing by a month or six weeks because we've not planned that into them. So we're really looking at the age, the stage the cattle are at, we're hoping that most of our farms will have covered for fluke through the winter, so we're not going to have to do anything for fluke for turnout. We're more going to be discussing fluke in September, October come housing time. Everybody loves an acronym, so there's an acronym in COWS, which is a control of worms sustainably, and that just gives you guidelines for how to control worms in all cattle depending on age, which is quite important because in New Zealand and Australia, they've got resistance to some of the warmers that we use in cattle. We're not seeing that in the UK yet. But on the sheep side, we do have resistance. 
So it's worthwhile having a real look at the, the cow's website. As far as diseases for the young stock, again, there's a few farms that will have black leg issues, particularly if they've had pipelines or ditching work done. So there's quite a few farmers certainly coming in for black leg vaccine just now. There are one or two farms that we've got that are quite localised that have more general clostridial problems. And, you know, some of them were losing double figures with clostridial diseases. So they're on a more comprehensive programme rather than just doing the young stock for black leg. They do every cattle based on the farm for clostridial diseases. And it's amazing the difference that's made. I'm sure everybody else listening to this podcast will know the answer to this, but I don't. So forgive me for asking it. What is it that's getting thrown up in the soil that's causing the disease? It's, it's a clostridial bacteria that the cattle ingest or gains entry through a wound. You know, and there's been quite bad outbreaks of it. Normally it's a one-off death and that's it. But if farmers have been through the classic one is that they inject every beast because they're dehorning it or castrating it or something like that. And if it's a dirty needle or something like that, then the next day you could have six, eight beasts with swollen legs or dead. You know, and usually it's a one-off, but yeah, it's a clostridial bacteria. Well, talking about vaccination there, how and when do you vaccinate? We vaccinate at, at weaning when there are any any of the young stock coming in for housing. They get uh, vaccinated for pneumonia. Or I should have said prior to that, as calves, they get a clostridial vaccination in the summer. And then beyond that, you know, be the breeding stock that will be vaccinated for BVD. Again, we spoke about minerals right at the top. How, how do you know what you need in terms of minerals? I don't do the, the real bespoke, you know, t- taking blood samples and crop samples. What I'm trying to do is put out a general mineral that allows them to, you know, free access and, and take what they need. But I'm also very much interested in allowing the animals to eat other plants that are going to hold different nutrients at different times a year and give them a, a more varied diet really you know in in nutritional terms like that so we've planted quite a few herbal lays recently to try and see if this helps you know I always notice when you move animals from A to B and they go and you know nail certain plants on the way that they didn't have access to in the field and you know that there's something there that they're they're looking for and you weren't allowing them to have it because you only gave rye grass and clover. What's your thoughts on that, Ainsley? Um, I think I think we are seeing different plants with certainly have a different mineral structure within them. Um, I'm not convinced that an animal can identify that it's low in magnesium or it's low in sodium or it's low in copper or whatever and go and eat a Pacific plant to, to try and rectify that. You know, I think on the herbal lays, if they're taking a bite out of four different plants every time, it's bound to be, or it should be more balanced. But I don't think they will, they'll go and select to eat such and such a plants because they know they're, they're lower in something they're needing to be. But, I mean, Will touched on something that a, a lot of farmers are trying to do is 
their father and their father's father all the, always used such and such a mineral. So they've used it and are spending hundreds of pounds a year using this mineral that they've always used. And what they're saying is, can we find out whether we actually need to do this and do we do blood samples? Well, if you're already using it, all we're going to tell you with a blood sample is that what they're getting at this stage is adequate. But there is a, a move within the farmers to try and use minerals as are required. And whether that's a bespoke or there's one or two almost using no minerals because they're getting what they need from the diet. And they say no minerals will be using some magnesium, but they'll be using a lot less than they did previously. Well, would you, I mean, use, there's a use of herbal lays or hospital fields, you know, would you know necessarily if your beasts were lacking a particular mineral if you don't test? Yeah, well, you know, the, I suppose, uh, no, I wouldn't know. It would be up to me to highlight an animal, you know, that I was concerned about its, you know, general health to follow that up. Um, and at the moment, I don't see those signals. So, you know, I'm just happy for the animal to have more choice in his diet and 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 let them get on with it, certainly from the, the young stock point of view. When it comes to the breeding cattle and the free access minerals, it is, it's amazing when, when they're out on the old permanent pastures, their requirement for these free access minerals is a lot less than, than it is on the, on the modern varieties of grass. On a previous QMS podcast, you know, and if you're interested in this kind of thing, it's probably worthwhile going back and having a look at it if you didn't hear it. Um, we were talking about soil health, and I think it was Alex Brewster. And he was saying, I've stopped worrying about what's on top of the ground and started worrying about what's in the ground because that basically is what produces it. But, you know, just, just in terms of simple geology, Ainsley, if the mineral doesn't exist within the land, you have to supplement it. You do. But, I mean, it's, it's when you get into these compl- complicated areas, yes, it needs to be in the ground. But as Will touched on there, some plants will take up what's in the ground to a greater or lesser degree. So, yes, you've got to supplement. But if you're going to go and test, you really want to test the animal. Because you've got this break, you've got, does the plant take it up from the ground? Does the plant present it in the leaves rather than the roots to the animal? Does the animal then ingest it? And is there conflicts between the minerals you know your classic one is between copper molybdenum and sulfur whereas the molybdenum and sulfur will tie up the copper so it's not available you really need to ask the animal and going back to what will was saying part of that asking the animal is performance what we are looking for and what we expect if will's animals have had grown frame and done 0.7 0.7 kilos or less through the winter if his animals through the summer when they're getting adequate nutrition are hitting one one and a half approaching two kilos a day then minerals aren't causing a lot of problems again going back to you know asking the suckler cows when we do put will's pds we know from his pd results that what he's doing at the minute is not causing a huge amount of fertility issues with regards to minerals. And that's why it should be a kind of ongoing discussion with the vet and the farmers say, right, I'm changing this. Is it liable to have an impact? Because if we do change the ration or the diet of what they're eating, there might be less of these things available. As far as the suckler cow side, the proof's in the pudding. Will has some exceptionally good PD results, so I don't see an issue on that side with his, with his mineral supply. 
How often do you actually wear your beasts nowadays, Will? These young stores, like I said before, I went through a period of weighing them very regularly. And, uh, you know, more latterly, I've, I've taken, you know, back, retracted back from that. And, and I'll be perf- watching their performance visually initially. You know, it sounds a bit bonkers, but I can, I can see if they're thriving or not. And then I, I, with me doing my rotational grazing, once I get my system set up and I know what they're eating roughly each day, I can assess their performance by dry matter intake, you know, on its own without having to weigh a single animal. So, you know, yes, it's very visual initially for me. And then as they get towards the kind of weights I'm looking for, then I'll be starting to weigh them more regularly. Part of my problem is is just time to put into to regularly weigh and and monitor, uh, you know, and, and keep these performances uh, logged, I suppose. Ainsley, how do you go about creating a health plan for the animals? The first place is always to see why the farmer is wanting a health plan. Health plans are often foisted on as a tick box exercise, and it's to try and go away from that a wee bit and get it so it's a value for a health plan. The health plan is a written document, but the value in it is the discussion you have with the farmer when you're doing the written document and then you hopefully get something useful out the back of it. So what I'm looking to discuss when we're doing them is what the farmer's been doing so far to see if there's areas that we can change or tighten up. The classic example I had on one farm was the cattle were going through the crate half a dozen times to split treatments up because they didn't think they could do things at the same time. And we said, right, well, these two vaccines can be used together. We can use a wormer at the same time and whatever, and we managed to get it down to a couple of handlings. So it's to try and make economy and time for them because all the farmers are busy. So you're looking, right, what are we doing just now? Why are we doing it? We're then discussing, right, how is performance been? What is your your loss rate, what's your PD rate or your scanning rate and your use, how many are you weaning, trying to identify any weaknesses so you can discuss, right, can we work out between the two of us what's going on here just now or are we needing to get a list of things when calving time approaches or turnout time approaches, what are we going to do if we see these problems come up and then you're looking at your risk. So, right, with the system you've got just now, what are our risks and how can we deal with them? And that's a better way because farmers hear this biosecurity and often think it just depresses them. But if we say, right, what are the risks? What risks are you prepared to accept? And what can we do easily to reduce the risks of problem happening? Hopefully it's a it's a less of a job in future years because hopefully things, if it's done right and with a bit of luck between ourselves and the farmer, we don't then have to do our, our big changes or review. It's all in there already. Well, what do you do? My health plan is through the the SAPS online system. And so then I'll fill that in myself and then we'll meet with Ainsley to discuss, you know, how it's going and, and perform- that, that brings in the performance data as well as the physical data and we can discuss what needs changed from that. 
Winter always is, you know, somehow portrayed in the public consciousness as the time when, you know, it's, it's maximum activity, maximum effort, blah, blah, blah. Does that mean come summertime you can kind of put your feet up and just relax? <laughs> yeah, summertime just goes in a, in a blip for me because of uh, other work that comes through the, the arable side of the farm. You know, I feel like I've got most of my health things fairly well covered. You know, things don't usually, uh, you know, rear too much of a problem. You're looking at, lameness and things like that that are going to give me the occasional issues the routine stuff takes care of a lot of the problems that you know we we're expecting generally speaking Ainsley you know you know as a as a, as a vet you, is the stuff you should be looking out for in the summertime yeah well it's it's just the, the, the unexpected or the expected unexpected if you want lack of performance in the young stock and Bulls not working would be the big thing for our, our suckler farms, you know, and that's where they often, you know, well mentioned the, the lame cows. One lame cow that's potentially stops one cow getting in calf. One lame bull can stop 20, 30 cows getting in calf. So checking that the, the bulls are serving the cows to me is a big thing and making sure they're doing it throughout that bulling period. Other than that, it's your staggers and your clostridial diseases and some of the clostridial diseases if they're not a badly affected farm it could just be one loss of animal so just that occasional sudden death getting involved in that that would be where a lot of our farmers are looking because they're on with the modern warmers they're on top of the warmers most of them are family farms and have been in the farm for generations, so they know what their black leg risk is like and they're vaccinating appropriately for that. And then you'll get the the odd one that will crop up a, a lead poisoning we had on one farm when the Scottish the water farm had been in and exposed some lead paint or a lead battery, so you'll get random things like that occasionally as well. Was it Ainsley Smith and Will Pickard? Thank you both very much for your time. Good, thank you. Thank you. Next week, we're going to be looking at fertility in female cattle. Until then, I'm Mark Stephen. Thanks for downloading this. I hope you found it useful. Thank you for listening to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. For news and to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, visit qmscotland.co.uk. For Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork recipe videos and inspiration, visit www.scotchkitchen.com or follow Scotch Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. <laughs>